Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. All right, well, once again, welcome to chapel this morning. If you have your Bibles, I hope you do, I invite you to turn to Philippians. Philippians, we'll start in chapter 1. We are very excited about our new sermon series in all things. Before we get to the message, let me share a couple of things with you as our, as our chapel team has been talking. Let me do two things. First of all, Greg, God bless you for being here. Some of y'all remember Greg? our worship leader for years and years here at Schofield Community Chapel and, and family, Mary and others. We're so glad to have you visited with us, back with us today, all the way from Florida. God bless you. I'm glad y'all are here. Amen. And the other thing that the chaplains and I wanted to share with you is we want you as a congregation, as a church family, we just recognized some families, right? As a family, I want you to think about the fact that we're about to enter PCS season. For those of you who are about to move, I was actually talking to somebody today who's about six weeks away from, from leaving the island, or even five, I think. There's many of you who are moving as you, as you leave. God bless you. We're hoping and praying that you, wherever you're going next, that you're able to connect with a group of God's people and continue to serve. Many of you are going to be here over the summer. What I want you to encourage you to think about with us is I want you to start thinking how can you become friends, be a blessing, be a witness to the many, many people who are coming on this island. There's going to be people in your units who are new. Some of you uh, are going to, some of you single soldiers, there's going to be new soldiers. We do this Wednesday cookout. God bless y'all. We do that every week because of the tithes and offerings, and we feed every single soldier who comes on the island. They're coming, man. Like they told me last week, they said right now we're about 50 a week on the single soldier side. In about a month, we're going to be 100 at a time going to be coming on the island. You're going to meet new soldiers. Befriend them. Love them. Invite them to become part of our family. Some of y'all live, some of y'all live here on Schofield. What do you see all around you right now? You see those trucks coming in and coming out. For every person who's leaving, what's happening? Somebody's coming. So I say this as a, hey, family, let's be strategic. Let's be intentional. Let's be loving for our new folks so that we can, we can uh, grow our family and continue to grow in the Lord uh, together. Amen? That's free. That's not part of the sermon. But if you have your Bibles, I hope that you do. Turn to Philippians as we look at this subject in all things. The subject in all things. For the past, I went back and looked, I think it was 14 weeks we did the parables of Jesus. And you can go to that SoundCloud website that we post on Facebook and you can listen to all of them until your heart's content. We're moving on now to this concept of, of in all things in the book of Philippians. What I hope and pray to accomplish today is to give an overview of Philippians. Here's what I want you to get from the get-go. You'll see three points, I think, in your bulletin, and I'll go through those three points. But what I want you to see right now is there are major themes that scream off the page of this little four-chapter letter. Next week, you know what you're going to hear? Some of the same things that I'm going to say today. In two weeks, you know what you're going to hear? You're going to hear about joy. You're going to hear about joy and suffering. You're going to hear about advancing the gospel. You know what you're going to hear about a month from now when we're still in Philippians? The same thing. As one pastor put it, it is Jesus' greatest hits on repeat. You're going to hear the same thing. We're going to keep saying it, and we're going to keep saying it 
for the next eight or nine weeks as we in we caught we did the title from the concept of in all things we hope and we pray that in all things that covers everything last time I checked it's it's centered on Christ yet not I but Christ in me like we just sang The scripture reading, I hope you caught that. If you checked out what, he, what, what uh, Garrett was reading in Acts 16, that is the backstory to how there became a church at Philippi anyway. This, uh, the, you, you heard about the woman, Lydia, who, who, who Paul shared with and all these things. Philippi was the city. It was named after Philip of Macedon, who was actually the father of Alexander the Great. This was the chief city of that part of Macedonia at the time. This is a big city. Some people think 200,000, 400,000 in the first century. That is a monster, monster city. This is, this is you, you, you've, when you read through the book of Acts, this is, this is where, where you start seeing Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. This is the beginnings of the first century spread of the message of Jesus Christ all around the world. Some call this city the birthplace of European Christianity. That's what, that's what some call it. It was an important strategic city for the advancement of, of Christianity. And this is where Paul was writing to. Paul was writing, however, from. He wrote all this in a, what most people believe was Rome, in a Roman jail. We know that because he says in the letter that he's in jail. When I say Roman prison, don't think about movies. I don't presume maybe some people here have been in prison but don't if, if you haven't don't think about movies where like there's yard time and there's a big strong guy doing pull-ups and he gets to go out and hang out in the yard and he gets special liberties if he's good and no that's not the first century prison Paul was in it's stockades it's you better hope and pray to God you have some friends because there's no government program where Rome took up taxes to make sure we feed the prisoners you're a prisoner if you wanted to eat, you better hope to God you got a friend who will bring you something to eat. That's kind of how it, how it worked. I say that because those of you who are soldiers, you've been in some hard places. You know what it's like to have adversity. But I want you to try to wrap our minds around abject squalor in a prison. And then with that in mind, I want you to think about the types of things that Paul writes about. Like, oh, in four chapters, he says the word joy over a dozen times. This is something that goes much deeper than, than, than happiness. The, the, the question I think that, that I can't help but, but think about in this book is how can you and I find joy? How can you and I find peace during difficult times? As I was studying to get ready for this, for this whole series, really, I was, I was looking, I was like, well, let's see what what the quote, what the experts have to say. So I, so I started going down that rabbit hole and I started seeing what, what different fields of study have to say, whether it be sociology, psychology, and, and, and those kind of things. And, and how, what do we hear in the army all the time? What do we want to do in an army? We say people first and we want to get after what? Harmful behaviors. We, we, we talk about suicide prevention. We, we talk about harmful behavior prevention. So, so we want to get after those things and there's, you, you could go down that rabbit hole and you can find all kinds of articles. I noticed common themes in those articles about how to, 
How to Find Joy in Everyday Life, uh, one that was just written in April by, by Harvard uh, University, says things like, well, if you set realistic expectations for yourself, it'll help you have joy. I mean, that's not bad. Uh, don't dismiss bad feelings. Feel your feelings. Embrace yourself with compassion. Uh, force, this is my favorite, force meaningful connections. Apparently, they found out that if you connect with other people, it's going to make you feel better. We've been talking about that in the church for thousands of years. So glad everybody caught up with the concept that, hey, we need God, but we need each other. It's good advice. Watch your thoughts. Balance hassles with, with uplift. Sort of, sort of the hunt the good stuff. And you can read through those things, and, and that list is sort of a combination of different uh, concepts that I ran across that I don't think necessarily are bad. But at the end of the day, I think you and I know that there are some things in life where there's no cookie cutter answer when we ask the question why. There are, there are circumstances where I, I know as a chaplain people come to me and they dump the problem and I'm certainly not in a place where I can tie a bow on that and, and make it and make it all better. So there, I'm hoping and I'm praying, and as I think about that, I hope that we can find something more than, than some coping skills, although I hope you have coping skills. I hope we, we can find something more than only resiliency, but I hope you have resiliency. I think it goes deeper than that because Paul said he had learned the secret in Philippians 4, and he used the phrase, in all things. I hope and pray that we as, as Christians can, can think about these things too. Well, let's go ahead and look at Philippians chapter 1, and let's at least read the introduction, and then after that we'll get into our, our outline today. And I'll go ahead and let you know we're going to stay in Philippians today. We're also, I'm going to throw out several passages of Scripture in Philippians if you want to jot those down that correspond to, to, to the themes that I believe are, 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 that scream off the page of Philippians. Let's look at Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 to begin with. Here's how Paul starts. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about this intro to Philippians, as we think about the concept of in all things, we want to share today three ways I think we can start thinking about in all things that you'll see through this book. Point number one is this. Point number one is stand firm for the gospel with joy. Point number one, overall theme number one, is stand firm for the gospel with joy. Let me read a couple of passages of Scripture for you, and you can follow along. Still in chapter 1, look at beginning in verse 12. I want you to see what he says. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's how Paul thinks through his imprisonment. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He goes on there to give updates of where, how he's doing and updates about the gospel. But his centerpiece here is to, is to say that 
he believed that he was where he was because God had his hand on his life and that he was saying that he was there so that he would stand firm for the truth of the gospel and so that he would experience God's joy in all circumstances. I want you to go down to verse 27 in chapter 1. Look at what he says to the, to the church at Philippi. He says, Only let your manner be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing. There it is. Watch. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And it, this is the backdrop for his concept of, of joy, is, is standing firm for the gospel with joy. Everybody, Blaise Pascal argued, and I think he's right, everybody has a natural bent to seek happiness. He said it this way, he said, all men seek happiness, this is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, in other words, people try to find happiness different ways, uh, they all tend to this end. Well, Paul uses a different word, joy, that I think is, is you might could say it's happiness on steroids, but Happiness is the shallow end of the pool. Maybe joy is the deep end of the pool. Joy is deeper than happiness. Joy is across the board regardless of circumstances, whereas happiness tends to be up and down and those, and those kinds of things. He says the word joy many times. I'm going to give you a couple of passages where he does, and if you just want to follow along, look at this. He already said it in, in verse 4. In, in Philippians 1, he says, Always in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy. Look at Philippians 1, verse 25. He says, I know I'll remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Look at Philippians 2, 2. Just flip over a page. He says, Complete my joy. Some translations say, Fulfill my joy by being of the same mind. Look at Philippians chapter 2, go down to verse 29. Philippians 2, 29, he talks about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is someone that the church at Philippi sent to Paul to take care of him because they love him. And he says in verse 29, receive him in the Lord with all joy. Flip back to chapter 1. I want to show you one more there. And if, you, if anybody wants these lists, I will be glad to email this to you or send it to you. Philippians 1.18 says, Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, just flip to Philippians chapter 3. In classic preacher fashion, he says the word finally, then he gives you two more chapters. No, but none of our chaplains, we never do that. But in chapter 3, he says, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And in chapter 4, he's going to say it again. He's going to say, rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to stop there on the first point, and I'm going to say, I say again, you're going to hear this concept of standing firm for the gospel, and you're going to hear this concept of doing it with joy next week and the next week. You're going to keep hearing it. So hold on to this. Perhaps today, God is simply planting the seed. God, give me that joy. I don't feel like I have that joy like Paul does. God, will you begin to work in my heart? Maybe you're here and you say, God, 
I need to stand firm in this crazy world we live in. God, give me the strength to do that. So point number one, stand firm for the gospel with joy. Point number two is this. Number two, I think it's in your bulletin. Live in humility before God and in unity with each other. Go to Philippians chapter 2. I want to read a little bit more of a passage that we started to read. Philippians 2 verse 2. He says, complete my joy. In other words, you want to really bring me joy, do this. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. There's Paul asking them to have unity. Look at verse number three. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in what? In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each other, excuse me, let each of you not only look to his own interest, but what? But to the interest of others. Paul is exhorting him to walk walk in a manner worthy of Christ, to have unity with each other, but also to live with this idea of humility. This idea of humility. God is calling you and God is calling me in a world that, for many of us, we work in a world that's very competitive. For many of us, we work in a world where maybe they, maybe the people in charge accentuate arrogance and downplay humility. Maybe some people think of meekness as weakness. That's not what Paul's saying here. We, we can be strong. We can stand firm. We can serve God. We can put all, every, all we got in everything we do, and we can still maintain humility. I ran across a great tool several years ago that talks about pride and humility. When you think of humility, it is, it is I recognize who I am before God. I, I don't think overly of myself, but I understand who I am in the sight of God. Pride is, it's all about me, right? Pride is, look at me, look at me, look at me. Let me share with you out of this tool that I, I, I ran across several years ago about some manifestations of pride. I'm going to share a couple of manifestations of pride off this list as we think about Philippians he's calling us to be humble now as I share these manifestations of pride if you're the person who hears the manifestations of pride and goes yeah I know a bunch of people like that and I go about five or six of them and you keep saying yeah I know a bunch of people like that might I encourage us to reframe that thought and maybe look a little more inward I promise you're going to think of other people unless you're way holier than I am. I'm going to say them out loud, and I'm going to say, hear it say people in my mind, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm doing that. But I want you to, to be introspective, and I want me to be introspective. Here's manifestations of pride. A lack of gratitude. A lack of gratitude. Anger. What is anger many times? How dare I be thwarted? After all, I'm so important so I'm mad. Manifestations of pride. Seeing yourself as better than others. I think Josh preached on this several weeks ago. I'm glad I'm not like the tax collector. Being too focused and having an inflated focus of ourselves, but also it could be the opposite of that. It could be being focused on my lack of gifts. Let me throw something out there. Sometimes arrogance is easy to see. 
we all know what it is to see a flamboyantly arrogant person and we all go good night I don't want to be that person or maybe I mean some of us might be that person that one's easy to see but what about how do we say it the self-loathing the poor mouthing the woe is me I'm just going to suggest that perhaps some of that is pride as well, but it's on the opposite end. Think about it. Think about it. Oh, I just don't have what it takes. First of all, you're saying something about God that's not true. Did God mess up when he created you? That's a slap in the face to God to say, I don't have something that I need. God, God made me. Oh, no, no, not me. Oh, woe is me. Do you see the theme here? It might not be the flamboyant arrogance, but the, the, the theme is still what? Me, me, me. C.S. Lewis said this, humility is not necessarily thinking less of yourself. It's not, oh, I'm just, I'm just so bad. It's thinking of yourself less. Remember all those great psychology studies that's come out in recent years? Oh, if you hang around with other people and do good stuff for other people, it makes you feel better. It's just a biblical principle being laid out. Pride's all about me. Here's another one about, about pride. Being devastated by criticism as opposed to being humble and being teachable. Being sarcastic, hurtful, degrading, or talking down to other people is a form of pride. Anything I can do to push you down builds me up. A lack of compassion. Here's one. Being defensive or blame-shifting. Well, it's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. Resisting authority or being constantly disrespectful. Being jealous or envious. Those are some of the manifestations of pride. Well, how about some manifestations of humility? What, is, what does it look like to live a humble life? Again, I can share this list with you. Recognizing and trusting who God is. Being gentle and patient with others. Being a person who's genuinely thankful. Who genuinely has gratitude. Being a good listener. How about this one? Talking about others only if it is good or for their good. That's an example of humility. Seeking always to build others up. We literally just read a manifestation of humility in Philippians. Don't only look out for your own interests, but the interests of others. Being a person who, person who serves. Being a person who quickly asks for forgiveness. Recognizing as a person that we need other people. I encourage us to think about having unity with people. The thing that typically stops us from being in unity with other people, whether it's a marriage, whether it's relationships with our children, whether it's relationships with people we work with, is some sort of manifestation of pride in your life and in mine. Go check it out. Find any conflict you've ever had, think through the source of it, and if we're all honest, it's, it's pride on somebody's part. If we will learn what it is to be humble, and we will understand that God calls us to serve him, but also to serve each other, we will grow and we'll have that kind of, that kind of unity that Paul talks about. You're going to hear about this unity and you're going to hear about this humility again in a couple of weeks.
So I'm throwing it out there now. I want us to keep thinking about this. How is God calling you to be humble? As you think about your life, I encourage you to think, where is pride showing, showing up? And how can, I, how, how, how can I become a person of humility before God? And how can I become a person who is in unity with people in my life? You may be here today and you may be estranged from someone that in your heart right now, you know God says, hey, you need to help make this right, if at all possible. I encourage you to think about that, to pray about that, and to see what God may be leading you to do. That's point number two. We're living in humility with, uh, before God and in unity with each other. But point number three, our last point is this. And this comes out through the book of Philippians, as I'll show you in just a minute. Point number three is bless others with your ministry. In other words, with those things that you do, those ways that you serve. Bless others with your ministry. And also, bless others who are in ministry. Now, go with me to Philippians 2. I'm going to read, I'm going to start in verse 25, because I want you to see what Paul says about his friend Epaphroditus. Notice how personal this is. In Philippians 2, 25, he says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my beloved and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He loves this man. Verse 26, he's been longing for you and has been distressed because he heard you were ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, so he was not doing too well. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice and see him again, that I may be less anxious. Receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. He's informing them about the ministry of Epaphroditus and, and how he was doing, and he's showing the importance of, of people needing each other, and he's showing the importance of connectedness. God is calling you and God is calling me, like he called this man, to be a blessing to other people in your life. This idea of connectedness. This is the opposite, by the way, of being self-serving. In point number two, you have humility, you have pride. Here, I think you have blessing others and being self-centered. It's just an extension. I can't help but think about the end of the book of Judges in the Old Testament is one of the saddest commentaries on a society that anybody could ever say. At the end of the book of Judges, it says that in those days there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Do you think that we live in a time where that might be similar? Whether we have a king or not, do you think we live in a society where everyone does what's right many times in their own eyes? I was thinking about that, and there was a book that was written years ago called The Church Faces the Isms, <laughs> and it's interesting to me that all the isms, if you follow them to their logical conclusion, say, I get to do what I want to do. Let me share you an example. During the Enlightenment period in the 1800s and the 1900s, it was naturalism. There's no supernatural. There's no God. There's no Jesus. He didn't rise from the dead. Naturalism says the natural world that we see, that's all there is. There's no spirit world. There's no God. There's no, there's no hell. There's no heaven. And the answer of naturalism was, we're just going to get really smart. And our scientific discoveries, and a, so who was the centerpiece? It was self. Because humans are so smart, we're going to figure it all out. Well, 
crank out a few world wars later, and apparently we don't have it all figured out. Apparently naturalism didn't work. But you know what the logical conclusion of naturalism says? I'm just going to do what I think is best because I'm so smart. None of y'all know anybody like that, I'm sure. That's naturalism. When I was coming up, I'm a technically a Generation X, it sort of became this relativism. <laughs> relativism says there's no such thing as absolute truth. You can have your truth, and I'm not talking about preferential opinions on the flavor of your ice cream. I'm talking about moral things. Over here, you get to define what you think murder is. I get to define what I think murder is. Over here, you, you get to define what you think adultery it means. I get to define what I think adultery means. I get to think about what's right and wrong because there's no such thing as absolute truth. What's the logical conclusion? Is that even true, number one? Which, if it is true, it technically would be an absolute truth, so it becomes self-referentially absurd, to use a fancy word, but I don't want to explain that anymore because it makes my head hurt. But yeah, even saying there's no such thing as absolute truth is making an absolute claim funny enough. The logical conclusion to relativism, however, is what? I'll just do whatever because whatever I feel like is right must be right. That's relativism. How convenient to think that, and then I get to do what I want to do naturalism, relativism. And this came up in Tuesday night Bible study. I, I, I credit Garrett for, for pointing this out to me. He's in the back and he read scripture today. Another one of those isms is nihilism. Nihilism, it, it, it's a negation of everything. I, it, nothing really matters. It's like, it's like the most negative parts of Ecclesiastes without the answer of fearing God. It's, 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 I can't know anything. There's no concept of real knowledge. There's no concept of ethics. There's no concept of what is be beauty, what is good. There's no concept of reality. Nihilism, there's no purpose in anything. Well, okay, if we go down that road that nothing really matters, again, what's the logical conclusion, folks? Then I'll just kind of do what? Whatever I want, whatever I want to do. I say that to help us have a framework for where we all work and where we all live. Paul says that people are important. Paul says that serving God is important. Paul is calling us to have connectedness. Paul is calling us to be a part of what he is doing in the world. He's going to talk about false teachers in Philippians 3. We won't turn there, but I say that because later on in our messages, you're going to hear where some of these false teachings come up, and that's what we've been talking about is these ideas, any kind of idea that, of thinking or philosophy that leads us to think, I just get to do whatever I want, I can promise you is not a scriptural way of looking at, the, at life. Paul says to look out for the interest of others, to bless others in ministry. Let me read one passage of scripture for you, and we'll close. Look at Philippians chapter 4, look at verse 10. Look at what he says. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you received your concern for me. Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I've learned in whatever situation to be content. Here's the in all things. I learned how to be brought low. I learned how to abound. Any and every circumstance, I learned the secret to facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me probably a verse you're familiar with. 
Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. He goes on and essentially blesses them and and expresses his gratitude for the fact that they gave him this gift. He's trying to teach them this principle throughout this letter that life is not just about you and me. God is calling you and me to bless others in our ministry, and God is calling us to be a blessing to others in ministry. You're going to hear this again when we go through Philippians. What I'd like for us to do as we get ready to pray now, our band will go ahead and come up. I want you to think about how is God calling you to be a blessing to other people? How is God calling you to give of yourself, of your, of your monies, of, of your time, of your family in the work of the Lord? Maybe you're going to meet some new people who PCS here. How's God calling you to be a blessing to them? How's God calling you to be a blessing to your family? Our prayer is that in all things... We learn the importance of standing fast at the gospel. We learn the importance of being humble before God. We learn the importance of being a blessing to other people. I invite you to stand. We're going to pray. And then we're going to sing a song that reminds us that we see the evidence of God's goodness in our life all around us. May our prayer be that we share God's goodness with others. I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, we do see the evidence of your goodness in our life. God, I pray that as we think about in all things, God, that you would help us to see your goodness in our life. God, I I fully recognize that that in our our congregation, we have people who, who are hurting. We have people who have great challenges and trials, and I pray that somehow as we look at your word, that we begin to unpack and experience the deep riches of your joy. God, that we feel your spirit. God, that we hear what you have to say to us as we look through Philippians. God, I pray that you would bless our people. And God, I pray that you would hear our worship now and that it would be a blessing. And God, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.